Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Aquaphoenix Scientific. Folks, I know what you're thinking. You already have a supplier for all of your test kit needs, and why would you switch? And let's face it, that is a fair question. Everybody's phenol failing is going to turn pink at 8.3, even Aquaphoenix's. But here is the deal, and I can personally attest to this. I've been working with Aquaphoenix Scientific for years, and I can tell you they are the experts for everything we need to be test experts out in the field. They can provide you with every product that you will need in your test kit by just calling them. That's right, one phone number, one purchase order, one stop, and you can get everything that you need for your test kits. Take it from me and give Aquaphoenix a call today so you don't have to make all those other calls outfitting your test kit. Visit them online by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash APS. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore. I get to host this awesome podcast, Scaling Up H2O. Nation, have you planned out your year? Do you know what you are going to do, the situations that you are going to put yourself in, the environments that you are going to meet new people in, meet new challenges, and just start looking at things you might already know a little bit differently. Well, a great way to do that is figure out what are all of the associations that are available to you within the area of industrial water treatment that you practice. They're different for everybody. If you are a water treater that practices like I do, mainly industrial heating and cooling and process, you're probably looking at something like the Association of Water Technologies, and there's many others around that. So I urge you, while we're new in this year, figure out what are the associations that you should associate with And what are they doing this year? Do they have a convention? Do they have certain expos that you can go to? And when you start doing that, you are immersing yourself in a learning opportunity. And I hope you go through every single day treating it as a learning opportunity. Yes, it's a brand new day. What am I going to learn today? Keep your eyes open each and every day for new learning opportunities, but also plan for them. So when you figure out which associations you need to associate with, figure out if you need to go to their conferences. Figure out all the things that will allow you to get to that conference and then plan for it. All that to say, we've got a couple things coming up in the near future. And one is if you are in Europe, the 2022 exhibition and conference is going to be January 26th through 27th. This is where global water utilities and network services meet to talk about how do they save water? How do they eliminate 
needlessly wasting water to make water use more efficient. So this is if you are in the water utilities industry, something that you might want to check out. Another one is the International Conference on Wastewater Treatment Processes and Water Quality. That's going to be January 28th through 29th. And this brings together leading academics, scientists, research, and scholars to exchange knowledge and experiences so their research can help all aspects of wastewater and the treatment processes for all water quality. If this sounds like something that interests you, please go to our show notes page at scalinguph2o.com and we've got all the information you need to send you directly to those organizations. Now, something that I like to do here on the podcast is let you know of different events that are coming up. And if I know about them, I will definitely share them on the podcast. But I know for a fact that I am going to miss several just because I don't know about them all. That means you need to do your own research. What is going to help you the most to associate with when it comes to an association and how are you going to utilize you being part of that association? Nation, you've heard me talk about it before, but one of my favorite things when I go to meetings like we just spoke about is meeting all of you. Hearing about all the things that you have learned from this podcast and upcoming things that you want me to talk about. So if you have a fresh idea, if you have something that you want to hear on this podcast, don't keep that information to yourself. Go to scalinguph2o.com and go to our show ideas page and either leave me a voicemail or you can write down exactly what you want to hear on this show. I love hearing from you because that means we're always getting new ideas and we're bringing you the right ideas because those are straight from the Scaling Up Nation. Nation, just a few short weeks ago, I was doing my year-end wrap-up, and I referred to episode 204 where I talked about being profitable. And I talked about how when I go in to other companies and explain to different teams what they should consider as far as being profitable, I normally talk about a hamburger and how do we get all the materials for the hamburger and when everything is said and done, what is left over. And from that, I just received a lot of comments where people really enjoyed that analogy and it opened up a lot of conversations in various companies where people were able to talk about what profit really was when they sold something in their companies. Well, that got me thinking, what else can we explore? When it comes to sales and marketing, I think there's a lot of confusion. I know there's a lot of confusion. A lot of times people have one department and people are responsible for both sales and marketing. Are they the same? Are they different? I know that's not the first time that that question has come up on this show. Well, I know you are going to enjoy my next interview. My lab partner today is Daryl Amy, author of Revenue Growth Engine. Daryl, welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Uh, Trace, it's great to be here. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. 
Well, I was so delighted that you're a listener of this podcast. How awesome is that? Well, absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to miss Industrial Water Week, and uh, I am so so excited. And uh, seriously, though, this is this is going to be a lot of fun, and and the ideas we're going to share today, I know, are going to be super helpful to everybody. So I'm I'm so looking forward to diving in. I am as well. But before we get into those topics, I want the Scaling Up Nation to get to know Daryl Amy. Who is Daryl Amy? Daryl Amy is a guy that, uh, well, in the business world, I'm passionate about helping great companies grow. You know, and, and when I think about it, Trace, it, when I say great companies, I mean companies that have a purpose, companies that provide meaningful work uh, for their teams, and companies that give back to their communities. So I look at helping a company like that grow revenue as making an incredible impact, both in the community where they are, the causes they support, the people that work for them. So every day I get up, our team gets up, and it's just so exciting to help great companies grow faster. So you wrote this book called Revenue Growth Engine. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Trace, it's exactly about that, is how do we build an engine to grow our companies faster. I was I was actually I'm against all the advice of any productivity guru. I actually like to mow my lawn. And here's why. While I mow my lawn, A, nobody can call me. B, I can listen to podcasts like the Scaling Up podcast. And on top of that, I also get to feel like I've got something done when you can see it. So anyhow, one day I'm mowing my lawn and I'm going across at, you know, I don't know, two, three miles per hour. There's not a speedometer on my zero turn uh, 60 inch lawnmower, but I'm looking down my driveway and I see my car and I realized my lawnmower has an engine. My car has an engine. Now, both of those, if I wanted to drive to another city, would get me there. However, the lawnmower would take a lot longer and I'd probably get a lot of embarrassing looks on the freeway on the way there, you know, Forrest Gump style. So what I realized was every business has an engine as well. That engine is the sum total of your sales and marketing efforts moving towards growing the company. So my lawnmower, two cylinders, 24.8 horsepower. I looked it up. My car, eight cylinders, 422 horsepower. So both will get you there, but I say I want an engine that's going to allow me to accelerate. When it comes to business, the more cylinders we can have in our sales and marketing engine, the faster we're going to be able to accelerate towards our goals and, and be able to generate the resources and revenue that allow us to make an impact. Well, let's talk about some of those cylinders because I imagine all the different pieces come together and some engines out there are just going to be better than others, I imagine. Yes, they are. And they're all going to be a little bit different. Everyone's going to customize their engine, but there are some core components and it all goes down to what we're actually trying to accomplish. So, you know, when it comes to revenue growth and there, every business wants to grow revenue. What I challenge people to think about is where does revenue come from? And if you boil it all down, really, there's only two sources of revenue. We get net new business. We go out, we land new clients. Awesome. Or we cross sell more to our current clients. So, you know, we get market share, we get wallet share, we land, we expand, however you want to say it, those are the two ways to drive revenue growth. Here's the challenge though, Trace, most companies tend to be good at one or the other. They tend to be good at going out and ringing the bell and going, we got a new deal or, or they're really good at managing their client base, but maybe it's been a long time since they brought on another new client. 
And what I've discovered is when you get both of those going at the same time, when you get net new and cross sell going at the same time, all of a sudden growth starts to become exponential. And that's where things get really exciting. A good friend of mine says that there's no problem you cannot solve with more revenue. Do you agree with him? Well, I I don't know if that's completely true, but I will say that uh, money can't buy happiness, but it can make a lot of problems go away. And, you know, the reality is we can laugh at that, but when it comes to business, revenue is the lifeblood of business, right? It allows us to uh, pay the bills, pay our teams, but also fund new projects, fund growth um, and all of that. And you can tell when you walk into a business and I've been in hundreds, maybe thousands of businesses now over the last 27 years. Um, when you walk into a business, you can almost feel it the moment you walk in. Some businesses you walk in and you feel it's healthy and there's dynamic growth and you can feel the energy. And other businesses you walk in, you kind of feel the other. It's kind of a bummer. Like, you know, nothing's happening around here. And so, Revenue, it can't solve every problem, but it certainly can solve a lot of problems for businesses. And, and more, more than solving problems, revenue opens up opportunities. And, uh, and that's where I really get excited. I don't think you can talk about revenue without talking about sales and marketing. And so many people get those two things confused, or they just have one department. It's the sales and marketing department. How are those things different and how should we be treating them? It's a great question. And uh, just by way of context, Trace, I've spent 27, I guess it'd be 28 years in B2B sales. Started my career straight out of, of university, right into a hardcore on the street, dog eat dog sales profession in the technology world. And then for the last 18 years, I've also been involved in marketing. I've started and been partners in several digital marketing agencies all through that journey of web search, social, inbound marketing, all the amazing things that are going on right now. And so what I would say to that is that marketing is typically the message of the company to the prospect and sales is a message of an individual to an individual inside that prospect's company. So, you know, the the marketing team is communicating on behalf of the company. A salesperson is communicating one-to-one with the the people in their network of, of clients and prospects. Here's the deal, though. They should be communicating the same thing, first of all. And a lot of, of, of the challenges we see when we go into businesses, regardless of how their sales and marketing teams are organized, is there's not alignment between sales and marketing. So sales will say one thing, marketing saying something totally different. I was talking to a sales rep the other day in the financial services business. He's like, yeah, I went in to meet with one of my best clients to talk about something. And they pulled out a piece that they got from my marketing department, had questions. I'd never even seen this program before, right? So it's a blatant example of you know marketing saying one thing, sales is saying the other. And one of the first ways that sales and marketing can get aligned is by working on the message together. Like, what is our message going to be to the marketplace? What are we going to say? You know, how are we going to talk about this? And that's one of the first ways that sales and marketing teams begin to get alignment. They get in the same room and they start talking about, okay, what is the message we're going to deliver? Just to summarize, sales is going, you know, one-to-one marketing is going company to uh, that person, but they should all be working in the same direction on the same team. 
there's so many ways to have that conversation. Something that just popped into my head is Simon Sinek, where he has start with why. Yes. Is that where this conversation should start with? The sales and the marketing department get together and they say, why are we doing this? What, what are we trying to accomplish? Who are we trying to serve? Yeah, I think there's the question right there is who are we trying to serve? And no disrespect to Simon Sinek. He's uh, one of my all-time favorite authors. I'm reading his book, The Infinite Game, right now. Fantastic book. But I would say start with who. So the question that we ask in Revenue Growth Engine is, who is your ideal client? Who's your ideal client? You could sell to anybody, but there are a certain number of clients. I would define an ideal client as somebody that needs everything that you offer and is a good fit with your business. So they have the ability to buy everything that you sell, and they also align with your values. There's good fit. like There's mutual respect. An ideal client is not going to be an antagonistic client. Um, They're going to be a client that trusts you and values your opinion and all of that. So once you define who that ideal client is, and, and we actually have some tools to do that, both in the Revenue Growth Engine book and on our website, uh, revenuegrowthengine.net. There's a toolkit right there to help you define your ideal client profile. Once you define that, then as a sales and marketing team, we want to sit down together and go, okay, what's important to that person? And I want everybody to do this in the context of this very important reality. And that is buyers don't buy products and services. They buy the outcomes your products and services enable. Theodore Levitt was the father of modern marketing. And Theodore Levitt used to walk into his Harvard Business School class, and he would be holding up a drill bit from an electric drill. And by the way, when I'm not helping companies develop and execute growth strategies, I'm in my shop building something. So I love this analogy. So he's holding up an electric drill bit, and he basically goes to his class and says, Marketing 101, nobody in the history of Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace Hardware, insert you know store here ever went to the store to buy a drill bit. What did they go to buy? They went to buy the hole. And uh, Seth Godin would take it a step further and go, well, they actually didn't want a hole. Their wife wanted them to hang something on the walls. They wanted you know, to be in good relationship with their spouse. So they needed the hole, which required the drill bit. And Donald Miller, a story brand, another one of my favorite books would say, well, we all kind of descended from cavemen. We're afraid we're going to be eaten by a tiger. We need to live in communities. So we need the thing on the wall that makes our friend look, look good to our friends, blah, blah, blah. Here's the point. The point of this, Trace, is whether you just simply need a hole in the wall, whether you want to make your wife happy, or whether you're afraid of being eaten by a tiger, the point is you didn't go to buy the drill bit. You went to buy the outcome that drill bit enabled. So here's the point when it comes to sales and marketing working together on the message. What are the outcomes that the decision makers in your ideal clients want? So, you know, I'm not a specialist in the industrial water industry, but if you think about, you know, the products and services that you sell, that's not actually what they're buying. They're buying the outcomes that that those products and services deliver. The thing that we tend to talk about as marketing people and salespeople, we love talking about our products. We love talking about how great our company is, and nobody cares. What they care about is what is the outcome that you're going to help me get? What problem are you going to help me solve? What goal are you going to help me hit? What risk are you going to help me avoid? And that's what we need to be talking about. So get sales and marketing people in the room together, define your ideal client, and then begin thinking about what that client actually wants. 
And that's where alignment begins to happen and the message becomes hyper-effective. So we've got our sales team, we've got our marketing team, they're in a room, they're asking the right questions, they're actually speaking with each (laughs) other. A huge step in the right direction, by the way. And we say that tongue in cheek, but this is really critical to get your sales and marketing people working together. So yes, do that. So now we've got some literature, we've got some statements, we've got some mindsets that we're all coming at the, the same issue aligned together. Where do we now go with that? What is a process that we need to consider to make sure we're staying on the right course? Well, you brought up the important word here, and that's process. And for my fellow Canadian friends, uh, that's process. Either way you say it, businesses run on processes, right? You go in the HR department, there's an onboarding process. If you go in the shipping and receiving department, process. You go in the uh, service department, there's a process. Billing, I hope you have a billing process. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. The challenge is when you go into most sales and marketing teams, it's like the Wild West. There's no process. You know, there's there's a bunch of sales guys leaning up against the saloon door and a tumbleweed's blowing by and someone's flipping a coin and the sales manager is like, y'all go out and sell something. No process. And we get frustrated because we bring new salespeople in and they fail. Why? Because we didn't bring them into any processes. Marketing doesn't get off the hook either because a lot of times marketing, you know, we get stuck on the shiny objects. There's a bunch of cool new things in marketing. Or we hear, hey, run an event for us. We need a brochure, do a webinar, whatever. All great things, but where is the the process? So when it comes to building your revenue growth engine, what I challenge companies to think about is what are your processes for sales and marketing related to those two core revenue drivers we talked about earlier? What are your processes for net new business? And what are your processes for cross-selling more to your current clients? And the beautiful thing about this, Trace, is when the processes are put in place, they may not be perfect on the first round, uh, but one of my favorite authors, Gino Wickman, says, look, you cannot improve something that you haven't documented. (laughs) You can't improve a process if you haven't written it down. So step one of all of this is to say, okay, what are the core sales processes we need for net new, the core sales processes we need for cross-sell. What are the marketing processes we need for net new and cross-sell? And begin to list those out and go to work building those processes. The whole last half of the book, Revenue Growth Engine, is geared towards giving companies ideas in terms of some of the core processes that they need to put in place so that they have a fully functional, you know, eight cylinder, however many horsepower engine running, whatever you want, the more those processes you get in place, it's like adding more cylinders to your growth engine. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. And you mentioned it. All right. Sales normally doesn't follow a process. And I love salespeople. I am a salesperson, but probably the most dysfunctional department in all of the company. So let's say these people do get in a room. They've come up with this process but not everybody's following it. Probably the most successful people are following it, but then there are other people that are going along their own way and they're being successful as well. So how do we get everybody aligned to do the same thing so we can start making some improvements? 
It's a really good question. And um, in in a former life, I've been a sales manager several different times and have worked with tons of sales leaders. Uh, we talked to a lot of sales leaders on, on one of my podcasts, which is called Selling from the Heart. And uh, here's the deal. Uh, I think what you said is is really important. What are your best reps doing? Like what's working? That's a great place to start. What's working with the best reps and begin documenting that and work off of that. Look, if there's a sales rep that's getting results and they're not violating company ethics or in like you know, dragging the sales team down or in direct conflict with the values of the company, I don't think I'm going to be that concerned about them, quite frankly. And the reality is that salesperson over time is going to begin to realize that the process that that is being developed actually works. And I think as leaders, we have the opportunity to show them that. What I am concerned about, though, is, you know, in sales, especially for growing companies, we always want to be bringing new people onto the team. And so bringing a new salesperson onto the team, you know, it depends on the industry, but I think it's very easy to say the opportunity cost and hard cost of hiring a new sales rep is usually somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000, depending on the industry. So are you going to take a fifty dollars to $100,000 risk and basically bring somebody in, hand them a box of business cards, give them a login to Salesforce and go, good luck? Or are you going to say, this is how we do things around here. Here's the playbook. Here's how we handle net new business. Here's how we prospect. Here's how we influence buying teams. Here's how you know we close. Here's how we onboard. Here's how we manage our clients. And here's how we do renewals. So, you know, six core processes for salespeople. I would say if I'm going to take a fifty to hundred thousand dollar risk on a salesperson, it sure makes a lot of sense to invest a little bit of time in documenting processes and. Along with that, you know, you take the processes and then you blend in the message that we talked about sales and marketing creating earlier. You know, these become talking points um, inside the sales process. You create sales tools, collateral uh, and messaging that aligns with that message for those reps to use. You're going to have a much greater chance of those new salespeople being successful. And I got to say right now in a marketplace where it is a challenge to find people this has never been more important than now to get sales process right. In order for somebody to follow a process, they have to be able to understand it. And in order to understand it, they have to be able to visualize it. How important is it to get some sort of visual illustration out of a binder that we might have all these processes in? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good idea. You know, the way I like to visualize all of this is around customer experience. So, and this is a great sales and marketing alignment exercise. You know, salespeople think about uh, things one way. Marketing people tend to think about things a different way, right? Salespeople, we think about the funnel pipeline. Marketing people, we think about buyer journey. What we really want to look at is what is the customer experience from the time they first encounter our company all the way through their journey with us becoming a client and hopefully their long relationship with us. As Mark Hunter would say, you don't close a sale, you open a relationship. So what do we want that journey to look like? And begin to map that out. That can be extremely visual. Like what are the stages of the client experience when someone's a prospect? What are the stages of that experience once they become a client? 
And that's where we can begin to, to define that. And this is where a lot of sales process begins to make sense. Because when you look at that, what we would call in Revenue Growth Engine, the ideal customer experience, when you look at that, then you go, oh, I see what process could be plugged in here to really help with that. Or I can start to see where things are broken and need to be adjusted. So I've seen this numerous times. I was thinking about a technology company I was in uh, just last month. I was so impressed. I walked in their office and they had hired an artist to sketch out their entire client experience. And it was right there on the wall of their sales team, right? So it was highly visual. And uh, not only that, I've seen other sales teams absolutely love this, where they define that ideal client and they actually have that on the wall as well. And so, you know, this should be when it comes to, um, leaders in organizations, especially in sales and marketing, we should be flying the flag of this is our ideal client. Here's success stories around our ideal client. Here's the message they want to hear. And here's the process that we use to attract and, and grow business. And this should be everywhere. And the more visual and the more everywhere it is, the better. Peter Drucker says, what gets measured gets better. We have this process. What should we be measuring? One, to make sure that the process we came up with is actually working. And then how do we know where we need to go to start working on the process to either help the individual or realign the process? Yeah, you know, there's leading indicators and trailing indicators, but I want to suggest two trailing indicators first. Now, that's counterintuitive, but I want to suggest these because most companies don't measure this. And I think this is a way, these two numbers I'm about to share will show you where you're healthy and where you're not healthy. So the first number is related to net new business. And that's how many clients do we have? How many clients do we have? You know, and, and is that number growing or shrinking? You know, we started the month with a thousand clients. Do we have 1,020 or do we have 950? What's going on there, right? The second number is revenue per client which is simple math. We'll take our total revenue and divide it by that first number, number of clients. And we see how much revenue we're getting on average from our client base. And a healthy company that is effectively cross-selling more to their client base is going to have growth in that revenue per client. So a lot of times in sales and marketing, we just want to look at the big number, right? How much revenue did we bring in? I say go down a level and look at number of clients and revenue per client, and you're going to get a really good idea of how healthy your company is. And then there's another uh, metric that I want to suggest as well that will gauge the health and effectiveness of your company in those two areas. The first is 100% sold. When I was a brand new salesperson, I worked for a technology company, and this is going to date me. So we sold copy machines, fax machines, dictation equipment, and document management software. So now I just totally dated myself. We had pagers, we had pay phones, and all of the above great stuff. But you know, back then we would get an order, the second order, and I came back to the office as a sales rep with somebody's copy machines. I go, look at this order, it's great. And everyone slap high fives. And as a cocky sales rep, I'd go, I own that account, to which my sales leader would go, oh, really? Do they have fax machines from us? No. Do they have dictation equipment? No. Do they have software? No. Okay, well, you own 25% of the account. 
Now let's build that relationship and let's get that account to 100% sold where they're buying everything they can buy from us. So what I want to know, and then you can measure this at two levels and we unpack this in more depth in the book is for everyone listening in, for every one of your core products or services that you offer, what percent of your client base is actually using those? So we all probably have a core product that everybody uses, but maybe you added on a new service last year. What percent of your client base is using that service? Is it 10%, 50%, 5%, what, whatever that is, that should be on the wall. That should be on the wall for every one of your core services all aiming towards 100% sold. And you can do that in individual accounts as well, Trace. You can go in when you're doing account reviews on your larger accounts and go, okay, how are we doing in that account? Well, we've got this product line, but these three, we need to start working on a strategy to get those in there. So the selling doesn't stop when you get an order. The selling just begins, right? And the marketing doesn't stop when you get an order. The marketing just begins. So I really recommend everybody start looking at each one of their core product or services lines and start measuring what percent of your clients are using it, aiming at that 100% sold mark. How should we be looking at growth goals? Yeah, this is a great question, Trace. And it goes back to what we were talking about, these two numbers, numbers of clients and revenue per client, right? How are we doing it? Net new, how many clients do we have? And what's our revenue per client? So when you're setting goals, most companies use one of two methods. Some companies use the spaghetti on the wall method, right? Where they get in a room like, what do you think we can do next year? I don't know. And they throw a number on the wall, see what sticks. And usually around August or September, when they're not hitting the goal, everyone in the room goes, well, I wasn't a realistic goal anyways. And, you know, better luck next year. Well, that's not a good way to run a business. The more conservative way to set goals is what I call the ruler method. And that's where you put a ruler on the last couple of years of growth and you just kind of draw a line and go, well, this is kind of our trajectory. So this is what we think we can do. Conservative, but I think it may be leaving money on the table. And I don't know about what your listeners experienced during the pandemic in 2020, but a lot of people's ruler is now pointed in the wrong direction or you had such an incredible year. It's not realistic if you're selling plexiglass or personal protective equipment, you know, can you sustain that hyper growth? Probably not. So what I say is look at, go down a level, look at how many customers do we have? And with the right sales and marketing processes in place, how many more customers could we get this year? Same thing for revenue per client. What's our revenue per client right now? And with the right processes in place, how much could we grow that revenue per client? Set the goals there, multiply them together, and you have your total goal. And what you're going to find is what I call an aggressive but realistic goal. It may feel aggressive, but you understand what it takes to get there. We got to get this many more customers, and we got to raise our revenue per customer this much. And now the team can look at that, and now we've got something to manage towards. So when we get to September or October, we're not hitting the goal. It's not, oh, it wasn't a good goal. It is a good goal. How are we going to hit it? What's one of the best ways to increase what we're cross-selling to our customers? In the B2B space, which is where I live, and I know a lot of your listeners live as well, I think the most effective strategy we can use is periodic business reviews, maybe quarterly, maybe semi-annual, annual, whatever it is for your top clients, your ideal clients. I highly recommend you set up a cadence where you get together with them once a quarter. 
Now, a lot of salespeople would say, well, I tried that before, Daryl. It didn't work. And to which I will ask, well, what did you talk about? And they said, well, we did. Uh, we presented all of our service level metrics. We showed them what a great job we did on service and uh, how well we took care of them. And then we told them all about our new products. I <laughs> go, well, nobody cares about the service level metrics. Just send that to me in an email. And I'm not really, you know, don't tell me about your new products. What I want to know is I've got challenges in my business. What insights can you bring that are going to help my business? So a periodic business review conversation would typically start with a question like, hey, Trace, how's business? What are you aiming towards in 2022 and beyond? I'm curious right now in this environment, what are the biggest challenges you're facing? And then bring insight from your experience, from your other clients, from what you're reading to the table to actually become what we want to become all along, which is a trusted advisor. Trusted advisors are trusted people that give advice. So set up a quarterly business review where you're actually talking about their business and working to add value. Those conversations, when they're done well, are going to lead to two things. They're going to lead to problems, which are also known as opportunities, which will lead to deals, and they'll also lead to referrals. And in the process of doing all of that, you're going to build your credibility and trust with that client. So one of the best strategies that any B2B team can put to work right away is consistent, you know, might be quarterly business review strategy with the top 20% of your accounts. And it's one of the fastest ways I've seen companies move the needle. Daryl, you alluded to your podcast earlier, Selling from the Heart. Tell us about that. Where can we find it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Selling from the Heart is our sales podcast, and it is fantastic. My co-host is Larry Levine. He is the author of Selling from the Heart, and we are helping salespeople integrate authenticity into their sales strategies so that they can build trusted relationships. And trust is the X factor in sales. So if folks are interested in growing sales, I highly recommend you check out Selling from the Heart. And so you can uh, do that on any podcasting platform. I also host the Revenue Growth Podcast, and the Revenue Growth Podcast is fantastic. We get to talk with all kinds of thought leaders in sales, in marketing, leadership, entrepreneurship, all around driving growth. And you can find Revenue Growth Podcasts on all the platforms as well. I know there are many listeners out there that want to read the book. How do they find it? Well, I'd love to send you a copy. If you'll go to revenuegrowthengine.net, uh, you can order a copy of the book. Just pay shipping and handling. I'll actually get an autographed copy straight in the mail to you, along with a toolkit that's there that'll help you get started. All right, Dale, it's anybody's game up to this point. It's now time for the lightning round where the point values are double. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. First question, if you could go back in time and talk to your former self on your first day as an entrepreneur, what advice would you give yourself? Focus. I would say focus. And this is, you know, I'm a visionary. I'm an entrepreneur. I know many people listening in are, but one of the things that is really critical is to focus. And I would also say as soon as possible, find your integrator find the person in your life. If you're a visionary, you're an entrepreneur, you're an idea person, as quickly as possible, bring someone on your team that's an administrative operational person that can get things done. You know, focus 
and get administrative operational competency on your team as quickly as possible to help you accelerate your growth. I got to say, you've mentioned EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System, a couple of times. Uh, Gino Wickman's book, Traction. We've been running on EOS for a little better than seven years. It was the secret sauce that allowed our company to start moving the direction that it needed to. Everything was locked up. I was the bottleneck. And I was frustrated because everybody was coming to me to try to solve the issues. Everybody had to come to me. That's what I trained everybody to do. I didn't realize that until Gino pretty much wrote a book and threw it at me. And then I realized, oh, I do need these procedures. I need to make sure that other people can do the things that I need to do. And I also need to realize that I'm not great at everything. Absolutely. That was the light bulb moment for me and in, in realizing that uh, my, my gift, my passion is creating ideas and strategies. I need to surround myself with people that are great at execution. So we've done that. All of our companies run on the entrepreneurial operating system. And actually, one of my companies, Convergo.co, is actually helping EOS users, companies that run on the Traction platform, develop and execute growth strategies. So we're in the middle of that every day. And, and I am profoundly grateful for the entrepreneurial operating system. When Hollywood finds out about Daryl Amy, they're making a movie. They have to. Who plays Daryl? Daniel Craig, of course. Who else? He's uh, unemployed now, right? He's done with, uh, done with 007. One of the things your listeners may or may not know, I'm Canadian. You may have heard that in the accent. I'm a Canadian that married a Southern girl. So I actually carry two passports. And uh, so if anyone's going to play me in a movie, it needs to be uh, Daniel Craig or one of the former James Bond actors. So I was always told you couldn't play bingo in Canada. Is that correct? That's a great question. I have no idea. People will say like B4, A, and that's just not on the card. <laughs> All right. There you go. You got me. I can do the rest of the podcast in Canadian if you need me to. Is not that hard, eh? Last question. You now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? There's so many different people I'd like to talk to. This is such a fun question. But I'm going to answer the question partially because of the book I'm looking at and partially because of the products I'm using. I'd like to talk to Steve Jobs. I would really like to get inside that guy's mind and understand the creative genius that resided in there along with the incredible business uh, strategy that he brought to the table. I think he's had an incredible impact on the world, my life, and I think he would be a fascinating guy to have a conversation with. Well, you've been a fascinating guy to have a conversation with. I want to thank you for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast, taking one of the departments that just has just no structure to it. Let's just get right down to what it really is <laughs> and, and putting some, some metrics to it, actually looking at procedures so we can work on it. We can make it better. We can make people happier that are working within it. We can get better results. Thank you for giving us all that information. You got it, man. It's been a pleasure. It's so much fun. Nation, I had so much fun talking with Daryl. In fact, we spoke for about another hour after we concluded with that recording. One of the nicest guys I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And I don't know if I've ever met an angry Canadian. Is that possible? Do Canadians get angry? Everybody's always so nice. So I hope that that 
helped you understand some principles that we were talking about. I also want to say how much I enjoyed reading his book. Now, Daryl, thank you very much. You sent me a free copy to check out your book. And his book is called The Revenue Growth Engine. And when he sent it to me, I thought it was great that he sent it to me. But as I was reading it, oh my goodness, it does such a great job of laying out so many items around sales and marketing, how to track things, what should you be looking at. It just defines so many things around everything revenue, what a client looks like, what your ideal client should look like. What different messages that you need to make sure you understand when you're talking with clients? Things like inventory, things like marketing and sales processes, uh, what outbound sales, what inbound sales needs to look like, how to cross-sell. There is just so much in this book. We decided that we were going to read it in the Rising Tide Mastermind. So this is actually the, the book that we are currently reading within the Rising Tide Mastermind. And as I've mentioned on the show before, we like to read about a book a quarter and we take a book, we read it together as a group, and then we really dissect it to figure out how can we take information that we learned from this book and apply it to our day-to-day. And how do we hold ourselves accountable that we're actually doing something different with that information? So I can't wait to tell you how that turns out. So far, I think everybody is enjoying the prospect of reading the book. We're just starting. Some are a little further than others. And I can't wait to have our first conversation. So if you want to learn more about the book, about what Daryl does, about uh, some of the tools that he mentioned, go to our show notes page. I've got all of that information there. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of exploring his website. Nation friend of show, James McDonald is at it again. Here is another installment of Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about damaged underdrains in a water softener. What purpose does an underdrain serve? What troubleshooting steps could you take to determine if a softener underdrain is damaged before you have to remove the resin and gravel? What makes you suspect the damage? What other causes can be ruled out first to save you time? What can damage a softener underdrain? Take this next week to think about and understand underdrains and softener units and their performance. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. I love how James always keeps it fresh. Of course, we just ended James's challenge last year. Well, James wasn't done. He put a new spin on how he could keep us all getting better one thing at a time, one week at a time. So James, thanks for that. And we look forward to new installments each and every week. Just like you're going to have a new installment of Scaling Up H2O next week, 
In the meantime, I do hope that you look at all the associations that you have available to you and what you are going to do to be active within that association so you can put yourself in an environment to start learning new things, to start meeting new people, and to push yourself for doing things maybe a little differently, maybe some new things. So Nation, what are you waiting for? Start figuring out what those associations are. I'll talk to you next week on Scaling Up H2O. Like most people in the water treatment industry, there's always a struggle with work and life. And I had a daughter on the way and I was probably a little more mindful of how much I was working and how I can adjust my schedule or or make it in such a way that was sustainable for my family. And this conversation is a little more difficult when you don't have people in the water treatment industry because they don't understand the travel aspect, the service aspect, the technical uh, knowledge needed to be successful. It's a little more difficult to to balance that. So to have a group of like-minded individuals to work through with the goal of self-development, it's really helpful to kind of hash through those problems for me. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.